folks of all different ages. I'm so grateful. Thank you for all the musical talent here, too. We're so glad in so many ways. God bless you. Y'all sing. Thank you so much, Children's Choir. What a great job they do. And that's part of our Wednesday evening program as they have choir there. If you open your Bibles this morning, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 there one more time in our series in Romans chapter 12. We'll finish up that series today, God willing. Romans chapter 12, you'll be finding that, please. You know, living for Jesus is easy When you're in here, it's easy to sing, it's easy to pray, it's easy to worship when you're surrounded by other people doing the exact same thing. But what about when you walk out the doors back there? What about Monday morning? What about Saturday night? 
What about all the days in between? You know, beloved, many Christians spend a great deal of their time and thus their lives around those who do not love Jesus. Whether it's in the classroom, in the workroom, or even in the boardroom. You see, living for Jesus in those places is where our faith is really put to the test. And then to complicate matters even more, what about those that you're around that not only reject Jesus, but they despise you because you follow Jesus? Those people who make you a Christian, you someone who follows the Lord Jesus as a special item, a special object of their scorn and their ridicule. Those that maybe make fun of your faith. Those that know that you go up to that church on the hill on Sundays and Wednesdays. Those who know that you're sold out for Jesus Christ. And they make you a special object of scorn. How do you respond to them? How do you live in those circumstances? You spend so much time in those areas. How do you live out your faith in those areas? Well, our final section in Romans 12 tells us this morning... And I'll begin reading in verse 14 of Romans chapter 12. The Bible says in Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good and things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. It concludes by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, beloved, I don't need to tell you, but as you can see, these instructions that were given here are not easy. And in fact, they don't even make sense from a human standpoint. The behavior we read about here does not come naturally. In fact, it becomes it comes supernaturally. I'm calling this morning's message difficult truth for difficult days. Difficult truth for difficult days. You see, for a Christian to live this way, it's going to take the enablement of the Holy Spirit working in their lives as you yield yourself to God and His will for your life. Now, I want to go into this passage, these final verses of Romans 12. And before we delve into it, I'll be honest with you, my first inclination, my first thought was to pull out verses 15 and 16. Because they seem to have a different thought in mind than the other verses. I mean, look at the structure of those verses. In verse 14, you have persecution. It says in chapter 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then 15 and 16 seem to be aimed more at our brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, do not set your mind on high things, associate with the humble, be not wise in your own opinion. And then back to verse 17, repay no man evil for evil. And so it seems like you have this thought of persecution in verse 14, then 15 and 16, maybe they don't quite fit, and then back to persecution in verse 17. But the more I studied, 
the more I came, became convinced that what we have here is a complete thought, a complete unit around the same thought. And that is that all of these verses relate to our relationships to those outside the body of Christ, outside the family of God. Uh, it, it applies even to those who seek to harm us. Those who seek to persecute us and ridicule us because of our relationship with Christ. And so we're going to be, take it as that. Paul begins his thought on persecution. I think he keeps the same train of thought. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, I believe it because of this. Verse 15 should already be happening in the body of Christ. We should already be rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's just part of being the family of God. And then in verse 16, those things have already been covered in chapter 12 when it comes to our family, relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That's in regards to believers. He's already talked about that. Verse number 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. He's already covered these things. For us in our Christian relationships. Now he's talking about those outside the faith. So we're going to look at this. This unit of verses is our relationship to those outside the family of God. Our relationship with lost people. The lost man. The lost woman. And we're going to cover some things here about how we're to respond to those who do not know Jesus. And even how to respond to those who despise us because we know Jesus. How do we live that out? Well, let me give you several things here. Number one, we need to display a Christ-like response to persecution. A Christ-like response to, to persecution. Look back at verse 14. The Bible says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now process that for a moment. Uh, someone's persecuting you. They're despising you, ridiculing you, mocking you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to bless that person. Bless, don't persecute them. Now, Paul knew something about persecution, mind you. He had been on both sides of persecution. He had been the persecutor. That is, he was Saul. Of Tarsus out persecuting believers. And then he comes to a glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he goes from being Saul the persecutor to Paul to uh, Saul the persecutor to Paul the persecuted Christian. And he knew what it was to be persecuted. And he tells us something here that we would call good preaching but hard living. What is that? Bless those who curse you. Now, let's think about it for a moment. When someone persecutes you, when they mock you, when they ridicule you, when they slander you, when they say bad things about you, what do we normally want to do? We want to respond in like kind. We want to respond with cursing and persecuting and mocking and ridiculing and defending ourselves, right? But Paul here says, listen, instead of cursing, bless them. What in the world does that mean? Well, the word bless here, where it says bless those, uh, in, in the original language, the same word we get our word eulogize, to give a eulogy. Now, when you're called upon to give a eulogy, most of the time you're called upon to do what? To say mean and nasty things about somebody? No. You're called upon to say good things about that person, to speak well of them. I understand in my study... That the Arabs have a custom, not always sincere, 
of touching the head and touching the lips and touching the heart when paying a compliment. And the gesture means this. I think highly of you. I speak well of you. My heart beats for you. And that's kind of the idea here, beloved. That we're to bless others. We're to bless them. Now, Paul's not the only one that said that. In fact, did you know Jesus also taught that? Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you or curse you, I should say. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, beloved, that didn't come naturally. That comes supernaturally. That comes through the Spirit's enablement that we could literally love our enemies, bless them while they're cursing us, do good to those hating us, and pray for those who are spitefully uh, using us and persecuting us. But you know what? That's what Jesus did. He lived that out in His own life. In fact, listen to what He said in Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father... Forgive them. Remember, He's dying on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He said that as He's bleeding and dying. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He blessed those who persecuted Him. You know, Paul saw this in action himself with his own eyes. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 7. Keep your finger there in Romans 12. Turn back just one book to Acts chapter 7. And I want to show you that Paul saw this in action. You have an account here of the first deacons. They're elected. And one of those deacons' name was Stephen. And if you find Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 54, Stephen is giving a wonderful... Uh, display of the faith and a sermon and preaching and sharing Christ. And in chapter 7, verse 54, we'll begin reading there. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named, what does it say? Y'all awake? Saul. Saul. Same man we're talking about now, right? No, we're going to keep watching. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Now I want you to hear this. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, that is, he fell asleep or he died. Saul saw this in action. Notice what Stephen did. He's dying, literally dying. And he says what? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. St. Augustine once wisely said this. The church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. Think about that. That impacted his life in a tremendous way. He saw this in action. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Now I need to give you a word of caution. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here. 
This instruction from Scripture does not mean, listen, does not mean that we, we shouldn't report criminal activity. Some would say, oh, well, they're, they're criminally persecuting or criminally hurting or harming, and I'm not going to report That's not what it's saying. Uh, it doesn't mean that you should stay in harm's way. If you're in a relationship where you're being physically abused, you're being molested in some way, whatever, that's not teaching that here. We've got to use good biblical common sense when it comes to living. But, but generally speaking, we're to ask a blessing rather than a curse upon those who persecute us. And in fact, I think it goes beyond just mere words. In fact, I think we see this kind of blessing in the rest of the chapter we want to study today. We see this blessing fleshes itself out. So how do we respond to those outside the faith? How do we respond to those who even hate us because we're in the faith? Well, first of all, we display a Christ-like response to persecution. We're like Jesus. We bless instead of railing back. But secondly, we display a Christ-like concern for others. A Christ-like concern for others. Go back to the passage there in Romans 12, verse 15. He just told us to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now say with me. Think with me here. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I said earlier, I believe this is aimed toward all people, obviously. But we're talking about lost people here in this passage, this area. And so he said we're to display a Christ-like concern for others. When they rejoice, we rejoice. When they weep, we weep. It's often been said, and I believe it's true, people don't care how much you know. Until they know how much you care. And we should enter into the joys and sorrows of those around us with a loving, Christ-like concern. And so those people on the job, those people in the classroom, the workroom, wherever it is, when they rejoice, we should rejoice with them. And it's not this fake rejoicing that's filled with envy. It's not the idea, well, you've got to raise, hallelujah for you. No. It's a true rejoicing, not filled with envy, not filled with other things, but rejoicing. Praise the Lord, you got the promotion. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? I should have got it, but praise the Lord, you got it. No, to rejoice with those who rejoice. When things are going well in their life, you rejoice. And then it says to weep when they weep. And not with, not with evil motives, but to truly enter into the sorrows that they bear. J. Vernon McGee said that the world's motto is laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone. He said this is not true of the believer. Beloved, I want you to think about the fact that we're the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're to show that concern and that love and that compassion to those people around us on a daily basis. When we truly enter into their joys and their sorrows, maybe they'll begin to see, hopefully, that we truly care about them. And hopefully, through a process of time, they'll begin to care about what we care about. And be open to hear our message. And be open to hear the gospel. And to be open to hear about our Savior and our Lord. But I think many times it begins with that Christ-like concern for others, meeting them where they are. Showing that care, showing that compassion. Weeping with them, crying with them at the loss of a loved one. 
Rejoicing with them when they get their new house, when the new baby's born. Crying with them when bad things happen. And just entering into their emotions and empathizing with them. A Christ-like concern for others. But there's another thing here. I think we bless them by showing a Christ-like humility in verse 16. It says in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now this verse has the idea of, of, of being impartial. Of not being proud and arrogant. We see it talks about intentionally seeking to get with people who are in very humble positions. I love what John Phillips wrote about this. He says, we're to make allowances for each other. If you look at John 3 and 4, he said, the Lord Jesus treated the woman at the well in John 4 with the same consideration, courtesy, and compassion as He treated the knightly and polished Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, Jesus was as charitable to the dying thief as He was to His own mother. He was as patient with Judas as He was with John. But there's a lesson for us to get in that. We should display a Christ-like humility where we realize that every person is made in the image of God. And every person deserves kindness and respect, whether we agree with them or not. We treat them as human beings made in the image of God. We we display a Christ-like humility. We love them with a Christ-like love. We enter into their joys and sorrows. And we treat them how? The way we want to be treated. That's how we treat them. And so we have here this blessing. Now this gets hard though, right? You're talking about people outside the faith. And even people who despise us and persecute us because of our faith. Which brings us to the next thought here. After we display a Christ-like response to persecution and a Christ-like concern for others, And a Christ-like humility. By the way, are you seeing a theme there? It's all about being like Jesus. But there's a fourth thing here. We're to display a Christ-like life. A Christ-like life. You see, Jesus exemplified what's being taught here. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So we're not to give back evil for evil. When they mock us, we don't mock back. When they ridicule us, we don't ridicule back. When they're sarcastic at us, we're not sarcastic back. We're to live a good, godly life. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In other words, our lives are not to be one thing on Sunday. And Sunday are holy, holy, holy. Lord God, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Then we become a devil and a snake on Monday morning. We're to provide good things, the same kind of life, and and the appearance of all men. We should be characterized by consistency, characterized by integrity. We should be men and women of character and not repaying evil for evil. Verse 18 adds this. It's an important verse. Now listen carefully. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably, With all men. Now I want you to notice the first word in verse 18. What is the first word? If. If it is possible. Now I want you to remember when it comes to conflict. We talked about conflict in Sunday school this morning. You missed out if you weren't there. 
David and Saul. When it comes to conflict, there's two sides to conflict. There's your, your side and their side. Now, I want you to notice he addresses your side. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, then it says what? Live peaceably with all men. On your side, you're seeking peace. On your side, you're desiring peace. On your side, you're seeking to come about a peaceful resolution. But there's two sides. You see, there are still those who refuse to live in peace with you. I think about someone who I tried to hold an olive branch out to. And it took my olive branch and went... I tried. You know, this whole idea of having enemies anyway might be a startling thing. You say, well, Christian certainly can't have an enemy or wouldn't have enemies. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the believer who seeks to obey God is going to have his enemies. When our Lord was ministering on earth, He had enemies. No matter where Paul and the other apostles traveled, there were enemies who opposed their work. Jesus warned His disciples that their worst enemies might be theirs of their own household. Matthew 10.36 He said, unfortunately, some believers have enemies because they lack love and patience. Not because they're faithful in their witness. There's a difference between sharing in the offense of the cross and being an offensive Christian. That's a very important point. We're not seeking to be offensive. We should not be. We should be gracious and kind and loving. We should speak the truth in love. Stand for the truth in love. Do right. But we know what? When we do right, there are going to be those who are going to stand up in opposition and stand against us. We know our great adversary walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There are many who go along with him. And so we understand, as hard as it is, when people are trying to harm you, and you want revenge, he says, seek peace. Seek peace as much, if it's possible. As much as possible. Make sure your side, make sure you're open for that. You seek peace on your side as much as possible. But there may still be times where the other party refuses to be at peace. Well, what often happens when we're in these situations, right, is we want to take revenge. He addresses revenge in verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, what he's saying there is you don't take revenge. You give the matter to the Lord. You turn it over to God. But let's be honest about it. Let's be transparent this morning. Let's take down the, the, the spiritual faces and all. It's hard to turn the other cheek, isn't it? It is. One man I read this past week says, I, I'm like the Irishman who was hit on one cheek and he got up and turned the other cheek. And this time the fellow hit him so hard he knocked him down. Then the Irishman got up and beat the stuffings out of the other fellow. Somebody asked him, why in the world did you do that? You turned the other cheek, why didn't you leave it like that? Well, he said, the Bible says to turn your cheek and only have one other cheek to turn. The Lord didn't tell me what to do after that, so I did what I thought I ought to do. <laughs> We're like him a lot, aren't we? 
Okay, once is fine. I'll turn the other cheek. Oh, now I'm going to knock you out. In Jesus' name. But as hard as it is to turn the other cheek, the Lord ramps it up a little bit more and makes it even, even harder. Difficult truth for difficult days. Look at verse 20. I mean, it's one thing to turn the other cheek and walk away. But look at verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Wow! Now, now that's not drinking food with poison in it, mind you. That's where you want to go. It's not, not revenge. What? He says, bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. Uh, repay no man evil for evil. He's saying, you meet his needs. Food and water. Food and drink. Leave out the poison. And in doing that, look at the next part of verse 20. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's not the first time in the Bible you, talk about, you learn about the coals of fire. If you look at Proverbs 25, 21 and 22, listen, I'll read it to you. Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, what in the world does it mean that as we're feeding our enemy and giving them drink and blessing them, that we're heaping coals of fire on his head? Well, there's a couple of options. Some say, well, the coals on the head refer to a ritual in Egypt in which a person showed his repentance and he did it by carrying a pan of burning coals on his head. And it's a picture of repentance. Some said, no, the expression alludes to an old custom of carrying burning coals in a pan because when your fire went out at your house, you'd go to a neighbor and request hot coals. And then you would carry those hot coals home on your head in a pan. And carrying the coals involved some danger and discomfort and uneasiness. But it was an evidence of your neighbor's love. You had these hot coals. You're carrying because your neighbor loved you. And some said, no, it's just the old Egypt custom of, of, uh, of showing repentance. Whichever one is correct. We're not sure. The point, the lesson is the same. Okay? Doing good to our enemy. Doing good, doing good, doing good will hopefully, over time, bring them to a point of conviction, shame, and repentance. The, the idea here is that we, we don't want to burn our enemy and destroy them. Somebody says, oh, boy, I want to burn some hot coals on your head. No! That's not the idea. The idea is we want to serve our enemy. We want to bless our enemy. And over time, they come to conviction. They begin to think about this thing. They've come to shame. They come to repentance. And the desire is we're serving them with the hope and the prayer that eventually they'll not be harmed. They'll be helped. That is, they'll be saved. In other words, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I said earlier, didn't I? That's good preaching, hard living, isn't it? Boy, it's easy to say, Amen! Glory! Win them over with kindness. But tomorrow morning they walk in your office, man, you just want to... Right? Edwin Stanton treated Abraham Lincoln with a venomous hatred. In fact, he said it was foolish to go to Africa in search of a gorilla when the original gorilla could be found in Springfield, Illinois. 
Now, Abraham Lincoln took it all in stride. In fact, later, Abraham Lincoln appointed Stanton as a war minister, uh, feeling that he was the most qualified for the office. And I'm told, after Lincoln was shot, Stanton called him the greatest leader of men. You see, love had won out. Love had conquered. Bruce wrote, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. That's good counsel. Does it always work out? Well, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. There's no guarantee. But listen, we do right regardless. We do what God tells us regardless. We obey the Lord regardless. We don't take vengeance and give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, this is going on in my life. And they're an enemy. And I want peace. And I want to see them brought to repentance. Examine my heart. Am I right in these things? I want to be right. I want to make things right. And you pray and you serve and you bless. See, that alone will surprise them, won't it? Because in our world, when they lash out, many people lash back, right? But there's something different about you. Why? Because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're one who blesses instead of curses. You're one who serves instead of scorns. Well, beloved, we find ourselves really back to the beginning of our series. Because the very beginning of Romans 12, you remember, we're called to be a living sacrifice. Let me remind you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed, high. how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But let me say this in closing this series. Being a living sacrifice is not easy. It's not easy. Someone wrote, and I want you to hear it. To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I will do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving out our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. Listen, but the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the thousand dollars for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ is not glorious. It is done in all those little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It is harder to live the Christian life little by little. Over the long haul. But beloved. That's where we live. We're called to be living sacrifices. Giving on our life. Little by little. Over the long haul. Beloved this is supernatural living. And it can only be done. As we submit. To the Holy Spirit in our lives. And live it out in his power. And by the way. This is the Christ life. This is Jesus kind of living. By the way, this is normal Christian living. And may God help us to live it out in our own lives.
Our Father and our God, we have considered some very difficult truth. We admit today that we cannot in our own strength live this way. But we know that we can in your strength. Lord, I pray there may be some folks here today that this message has resonated with them because they're in some situations, some conflict right now in their own life. And Lord, you saw fit for these messages to fall on the same day. We talked about it in Sunday school. We talked about it in the morning worship hour. And Lord, I pray for those who may be facing conflict in their own life right now, that you'd help them to be Christ-like, that you give them the wisdom, the grace that they need to as much as lies with them to live peaceably with all men, to not be caught up in vengeance and hatred and scorn and ridicule and mockery, but to be found blessing and serving and loving, to live like Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never met the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly they can't live this way because they don't even know Christ. I pray this morning they will come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during this last song. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for Romans 12. Thank you for what you've taught us and what you're teaching us. May we live it out in your glory and in your strength, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. We're going to sing in closing this morning, I think, a song that's appropriate as we close out our series and this message, Make Me a Blessing. Hopefully you know it. If not, those who do, you sing out. 569. The altar is open this morning. Perhaps you need to meet Jesus Christ. We would invite you to come. We'd love to help you with that. But you know, much of the message today was aimed towards believers. And the series, much for believers. Maybe you'd like to come and pray about some things today. You do that. Take this time right now and give some matters to the Lord. 569, let's stand and sing, make me a blessing. 569.